I'm Pastor Darrell Curtis, and you're listening to the 50th part of my sermonic review of the last year of the life of Christ, in which my point is that the praise of God, although delayed till his plan is completed, is better than the immediate gratification of the praise of men. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. June 28, 2009, our lesson for this morning is the last year of the life of Christ, part 50. Text is in the 12th chapter of the book of John, verses 42 and 43, which read as follows. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear this message this morning. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. Now, I received an interesting invitation to a meeting that is to be held in East Lansing on July 14th, and I'd like to extend the invitation to anyone that might be interested. It is a meeting in which Zig Ziglar is the headliner and Robert Schuler, Rudolph Giuliani, and others will be speaking. The cost is $4.50 per individual or $19 for everyone in the group, so it appears to be cost effective. The title of the seminar is Get Motivated, and the purpose is to help business people to motivate them to increase the effectiveness of their businesses. Now, the root word in motivation is motive, which is divined, defined as something within a person that incites them to action. There are two basic types of motivation. We may be motivated to act because we desire to feel a particular pleasurable sensation as a result of our action. Back when my wife could dance, I loved to take her dancing because of the positive reinforcement that I received from her and from those watching us dance. Hopefully, she will eventually be able to go dancing again and I can regain the feeling. We may also be motivated to act because of discipline. The reason that soldiers train so rigorously and extensively is that men in combat, combat will very likely be required to put their lives at risk 
And in order for men to perform effectively in such sacrificial situations, they have to be trained and disciplined so well that they do not even have to think about that which they are doing. I remember a line from the movie Top Gun, in which Tom Cruise was playing the role of an instructing, instinctive fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants fighter pilot who was training in the most advanced pilot school in the Navy. As one of his instructors was reviewing a particular unconventional maneuver that Tom performed during a combat simulation, the instructor asked Tom what he was thinking when he did this. Tom replied, you can't think up there. If you think, you're dead. It is the objective of the commander of men in combat to have their men trained so well that they can react properly without having to think about what to do. They must know what to do without thinking, and they also have to already decided to have done it with, when necessary, or to do it, rather, when necessary. Men whose job it is to put their lives on the line for others have to be disciplined enough to react correctly and spontaneously. So we have two types of motivation. Motivation is either based upon e emotional satisfaction or discipline. Now back before Father's Day, we began discussing death, specifically the purpose of the death of Jesus Christ. In the 12th chapter of John, Jesus presents his sacrifice on the cross to his disciples as his opportunity to glorify God by putting his life on the line for others. Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, Jesus knows that his mission is to die, just as a military man knows that his mission may involve his death. Jesus is not motivated to go to the cross by the feeling that the cross is going to bring him, as his trip to the cross is not going to feel very good. Jesus is, rather, motivated by commitment and discipline, which is a much more effective form of motivation than feeling. It is difficult to rely on people who need positive feelings to stay committed as their motivation leaves them if their feelings change. The difference between marrying a spouse and cohabitation, that is, shacking up with a partner, is that marriage is a commitment and shacking up is an avoidance of commitment. Marriage says, as long as we both shall live, which is a commitment while shacking up says, as long as we both feel like it, which is not a commitment. People may claim that shacking up is a preparation for marriage, but clearly it is not, as being a roommate with benefits but no commitment is clearly not the same or even a similar mindset to having the commitment of a spouse. Weddings are generally expressions of positive feelings. Couples kiss at the altar because of their desire for one another. But the kiss comes after the commitment. Once you leave the altar, the circumstances of life may cause your feelings for your spouse to change for the worse, 
and you may desire to divorce. But we make the commitment of marriage knowing that our feelings may change because we recognize our commitment to the marriage motivates us to work on our marriage to produce us a long-term benefit rather than losing that benefit by acting out on how we feel during any one period of time. Jesus tells his disciples of his commitment to the cross and that they will have to develop the discipline to follow his lead if they are to remain his disciples. He says in John chapter 12, verse 25 and 26, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Jesus, however, is both human and divine. The divine part of Jesus, his spirit, understands and is prepared for the necessity of his death, but the human part of Jesus, his soul, is troubled by the fact that, he, that the sacrifice for sin that God has planned for him will cause him great pain and agony. No one can volunteer for pain and agony without some soul-searching, as Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, although the problems of this life can trouble our soul, it is up to us to maintain a heavenly perspective. The military man recognizes that doing his job may cost him his life, and so he has to make the decision before joining the military that he will take on the personal responsibility to protect his family, his friends, and his country from military threats, foreign and domestic. The military stand says, as did Thomas Jefferson, that the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants, and that he is willing to be one of the patriots, willing to, be, willing to give his blood if necessary. And if a man believes that the cause is just and proper, a man will give his life for the cause. Jesus recognized that his cause was more just and proper than any other cause on earth. He came to represent the army of God and to cast out the tyrant that controls the world, as Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 29 through 33. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it thunders. Unders, others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This Jesus said, signifying by what death he would die. And just as the World War II American soldiers that defeated Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan in the 1940s were willing to make the ultimate sacrifice 
to overthrow the dictators of the Axis powers in order to bring freedom and liberty to Europe and the Far East while maintaining peace and security here in the United States, Jesus was also willing to make the ultimate sacrifice to overthrow the devil and to bring salvation to man and glory to God by suffering on the cross in our place and for our sake. To suffer the piercing, painful, and punishing penalty to pardon our debt, deficiency, and disobedience caused by the stranglehold that the devil had on our lives. Jesus volunteered to give up the ghost on the cross of Calvary to fix the fractures in the fellowship between God and man caused by the devious discussions of the devil and then bring human and divine together in the unity of the Holy Spirit and the bond of peace with God. But as Jesus explained his pursuit to those whom he was preparing to participate in his plan, they proclaimed that they did not perceive his purpose. John 12 and 34 records, the people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Now the people speaking of the law, the Christ and the son of man are referring to two Old Testament prophecies. The first is found in the book of Isaiah. After the prophet Isaiah prophesied the Assyrian deportation of the Jews, he then talks about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And from the wording of the prophecy, however, he is actually talking about an event that will last longer than an earthly kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, the prophet says to Israel, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, based upon the titles given to this governor, the Jews recognize that this is a prophecy of the coming of the permanent kingdom of God, one that will be ruled by God's anointed one, the Messiah. The Messiah is to rule forever from the throne of David in Jerusalem, according to the prophecy, which is why the rank-and-file Jews so anticipate Jesus' coming to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem in great power, raising men from the dead and healing the diseases that are affecting the Israelites, the Israelites say to themselves, surely this is the one of which Isaiah spoke. They cannot then reconcile the prophecy of Isaiah of an everlasting kingdom with Jesus's prophecy about his being lifted up, which they understand as a reference to his crucifixion. Now the second prophecy is recorded in the book of Daniel, as Daniel is prophesying the destruction of the four great kingdoms of the earth. Daniel then prophesies in Daniel chapter seven, verse 13 and 14, I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. 
then was given then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed once again the scripture speaks of an everlasting dominion that will not pass away which is inconsistent with the idea of being lifted up or crucified. Thus the logical question to Jesus is, if the kingdom of the Son of Man is an everlasting kingdom, and the kingdom of the child that is born will have no end, and you are the fulfillment of these prophecies, how then can you say that you are going to be crucified if the prophecy is true? If you are going to die, you are obviously not the son of man discussed in, man, in Daniel. So what son of man are you? But Jesus did not answer their question directly because there is no point in doing so. They cannot understand the grain of wheat teaching because the concept of a physical resurrection from the dead is still a little beyond their ability to comprehend. I can remember going to visit my grandfather in downstate Illinois when I was a child. Dad got us out of the bed and put us in the car at about 5 a.m. because it was about a five-hour drive and Dad wanted to make it to Grandfather's house for church since Grandfather was the pastor. I got to sit in the front because everyone else was going back to sleep, but I was wide awake. I asked Dad, Dad, where are we going? Now, Dad could have said, Taylorville, Illinois, but I did not know where that was. Even if he had showed it to me on a map, I would still not have known, and Dad figured wisely that if he answered one question, he would have to answer a lot of questions. So he responded, you're going where the car goes, because he knew that I had no concept of our destination. Dad did not explain further, but just admonished me to wait and see and enjoy the ride while I was doing so. And when it comes to prophecy, God, like Dad, knows that those to whom the prophet prophesies cannot understand that which the prophet says about the future. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Prophecy is most valuable to us once it is fulfilled, because we can much more easily understand what God has done rather than that which God is going to do. Jesus' prophecy of his everlasting kingdom after his death became much clearer to the disciples once he rose from the dead. So Jesus, like Dad, does not answer their question directly. He just tells them, go where the car goes, in John chapter 12, verse 35 and 36. Then Jesus said to them, a little longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, departed, and was hidden from them. Now the people have a choice. 
They can either follow Jesus, whose word they do not understand, or look for another Messiah that is more clear in his explanations. And although Jesus' word seems somewhat ambiguous, Jesus' actions are very clear. Jesus heals the sick, raises the dead, and tells the multitude that he is going to die himself, even as a grain of wheat dies when it is planted, only to rise again as a stalk of wheat with many grains. He instructs them to roll the stone away from their hearts, even as Mary and Martha rolled the stone away from the tomb of Lazarus at Jesus' command, despite their fears of the smell. The command of Jesus is to step out and follow him on faith, and you have the choice to either do so or not. But John chapter 12, verse 37 through 41 records, But although Jesus had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled when he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, it is easy to understand how an ordinary person that has just come to Jerusalem for the feast might not understand that which Jesus said because they don't actually study the scripture as their job. However, There is a group of people in Jerusalem whose job it is to administer the things of God. And this is the Jewish religious leaders. And of all people, they should have had insight on the prophecy of Isaiah and Daniel, but they did not. They know the words of the prophecy, but they have an alternate agenda that blinds them to the reality that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. They don't want the prophecy to be filled by Jesus. They want the prophecy to be fulfilled by one of their own, not an Israelite, but a Pharisee. John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, even though I am a Republican, I pray that Obama's economic plan works out. Why? I live in this country, and the state of the economy affects me personally. The Bible doesn't say specifically anything about whether or not the banks and General Motors should be bailed out, or whether health care should be taken out of the private sector and made part of the government. I know that I am not privy to all the economic data and expert advisors that the president has in order to make an informed decision, And so I have to pray that President Obama, being a good Christian man, is trying to do his best to do the best possible job with the resources that he has. On moral issues that have a clear biblical focus, I have a definite opinion as to whether his position and mine are in agreement. But on economic issues, which have less of a biblical focus and more of a focus on the uncertain future, I simply have to pray that the Lord is with President Obama's decision-making. A wise man in a seminar once told me, support your boss. If his idea is a good one, 
you'll be glad that you supported it and went with a winner. If his idea is a bad one, it will soon be obvious, and it won't need your help to kill it. The scribes and Pharisees should have been at this seminar with me. Jesus came to town healing the sick, raising the dead, and teaching the people that which the word of God says. The Sadducees tried unsuccessfully to shake Jesus' teaching, and the teachers among the Pharisees agreed with that which Jesus taught. Jesus could teach better than they could, and Jesus had more power with God than they did. And since they could not duplicate his teaching or his power, they should have supported Jesus and walked in his light. The Pharisees wondered if their jobs as religious leaders were secure. Were I there, I would have said, I don't know, but although I don't know where the car is going, I know that Jesus is driving and I know how to enjoy the ride, so I'm going to do so. Unfortunately for the scribes and Pharisees, they wanted to drive the car that Jesus was driving. They weren't big enough to see over Jesus' steering wheel and they weren't tall enough to reach the pedals that Jesus was using, but they refused to ride in the car because Jesus was driving it and they wanted to drive. Now, one day, Jesus passed the blind man sitting by the side of the road. Jesus stopped and spit on the ground, made mud with his spit, picked up the mud and put it on the blind man's eyes and told the blind man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud. When the man did so, his blindness was cured. It was traditional for a Jewish man that was miraculously healed to go to the synagogue, show himself to the priest and give thanks to God, and the man did so. The Pharisees that were there were affronted that the man was healed on the Sabbath day because according to their rules, no work should be done on the Sabbath day and they considered healing to be work. John chapter 9 verse 14 through 16 records, Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened the man's eyes. Then Jesus also asked the man again, then the Pharisees rather, also asked the man again how he received his sight. He said to them, Jesus put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Then some of, the, some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Now, some people don't like Obama's economic plan because Obama is not in their party. Others don't like Obama's economic plan because Obama is not in their race. I say Obama is the president and has the right to make whatever economic plan that he wants as long as his plan does not propose anything illegal. Let's wait and see how he comes out. Now, the formerly blind man, of course, saw how Jesus' plan came out. It came out well because he was able to see. The formerly blind man thought that Jesus was a great man, disagreeing with the idea that Jesus should have waited a day to heal him. As John 9 and 17 records, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him who, because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Now, since the formerly blind man is clearly healed and clearly wants to give glory to God and praise to, praise to Jesus Christ for his healings, 
the Pharisees realize that they can do nothing with this man to discredit Jesus. So they look for reinforcements. John chapter 9, verse 18 and 19 records, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? But the parents hesitated to get involved. Why? John chapter 9, verse 20 through 22 records, His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So the parents hesitated to get involved because they did not want to be put out of the synagogue. Our text for today, John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue, for they pray, loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The vote to crucify Jesus was unanimous, but not everyone that voted for Jesus' death believed that Jesus deserved to die. Some refrained from voting their conscience and voted with the majority because they did not want to be the target of the men in charge. The devil did not win the scribes and Pharisees over with a logical argument. He simply entered a few of them and glared and screamed and argued until the others gave up and they were able to get their way. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. But Jesus told these men not to give in to the devil, but to follow him. The praise of God, although delayed until his plan is completed, is better than the immediate gratification of the praise of men. The reward of God, although delayed until his plan is completed, is better than the immediate gratification in the reward of men. Belief in God, although delayed until his plan is completed, is better than the immediate gratification in, of belief in the words of man. The authority of God, although delayed while he is completing his plan, is better than the puny authority of man. So Jesus admonishes us to reject the things of man and follow him. In John chapter 12, verse 44 through 50, then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him 
in the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is available to all of us. We can be saved from the penalty and power of sin, death, hell, and the grave if we only listen to the word of God rather than the words of men. But to be true believers in Christ, we have to be willing to be put out of the synagogue and not receive the praise of men. We might have to forfeit part of being part of the big show to maintain our commitment to Jesus Christ because the big show might be just that, a show. John chapter 12, verse 25 and 26 records, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. The show is not important. It is important to be devoted to Christ. Whatever we must give up to do so is less important than our relationship to Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, anyone, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So let us keep the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our per daily personal decisions on those principles taught to us by the life of Christ rather than on the peer pressure of the crowd. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for our lesson, and we ask you, Lord, that you would give us the mind of Christ, that we might be able to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that you have taught us and resolve and follow through on basing our daily personal decisions on those principles. We ask you, Lord, that you would give us the understanding of that which you have said and that which you have done that we might be able to live lives pleasing to you and to transmit the information that we have gleaned from your word to those with whom we have influence, that on that great getting up morning, we might all be together in your kingdom, having done according to that which you have told us to do. And now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. 
Thank you, Lord. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.